morning, everyone. What a beautiful day. It's May 1st. And even, even in all this great beauty, it's so nice that we have such great beauties when our eyes itch all the time and our noses are running. So the allergies are great today, but the, it is beautiful. Praise, praise be to the Lord. We, again, have the privilege of having Ray Waldron uh, be our pastor today. So I'm going to do the morning a little bit differently. I'm going to go ahead and read our, our passage, and then I'll pray for us and turn, turn it over, okay? So May 1st, God's kind of strength. They shall walk and not faint, from Isaiah 40, 31. Never in history have the nations of the world possessed so many lethal armaments, so many ways to bring death and destruction to the human race. Some of our most brilliant minds have spent their entire lives developing new and more sophisticated ways to destroy life. Oh my goodness, we have been experiencing that. But have all of our weapons brought us lasting security? On the contrary, if anything, they have made the world less secure. At any one time, at least 30 wars rage in various parts of the world. In addition uh, to countless instances of civil unrest, I'm reminded of the false prophets of Jeremiah's day. Peace, peace, they would say, when there is no peace. Jeremiah 8.11. In the midst of an uncertain and threatening world, however, we can have peace. It comes from putting our trust in the living God. Isaiah's words, written in a time of great upheaval, still speak to us today. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40, 31. The hope for today, defeating an earthly enemy will never bring peace. Creating the most devastating weapon doesn't prove strength. People who learn to wait on the Lord will be, will be the ones who experience perfect peace and strength that does not fade regardless of what comes. We have had that tested in the last few years. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are our strength. You are our very present help in times of troubles. And we sit here in this beautiful sanctuary looking at your magnificent mountains, and it feels as though nothing has changed in the world, and yet the world is whirling towards uh, many disasters, it appears. So you are our peace, and we will live in that peace, and your strength, you are our strength. And we will look to the mountains and recognize that they are unmoved unless you move them. And Lord, we will be that strong, like mountains, unmoved. You will take us here and there, but we will not move in our relationship to you. And so this service is uh, brought as an offering to you, and may you be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen.
Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may arise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me he shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my, all my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. If you would stand with me, we can say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Our New Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon, Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for, for gown for work, jumped into the water and headed the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them and the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question on a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Join us now in our responsive reading. 
O Lord, we lift our eyes to see your glory. We open our hearts to receive your love. We engage our minds to understand your truths. We offer our songs to praise your name. Lord, as we give you our lives, please take everything that we are so that we may reveal your sincere love. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the gifts that we give today, we know they come from you, they originate from you. But you have told us to learn to share with others, to share freely and to open up our hearts and minds and understand that the things, the various blessings you've given us and to share each one of them with others, Lord, so that others may come to know your kingdom and know what it means to be loved by you, to love you and to be loved by you. Lord, we, we ask that you give us wisdom in using the keys gifts wisely. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. morning. Last week I uh, <clears throat> preached about the 40 days after Christ's resurrection. Today I'd like to back up a little bit and talk to you about the three days his body spent in the grave. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are your word. Your word is truth. And we ask of you this morning that you would shed abroad your truth in our heart. The word, I pray that you will bless it, multiply it to us with many, many blessings. But most of all, Father, give us to understand the truth of your word this morning. Anoint every word I say, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. What did Jesus do those three days in the grave? How many of you are familiar with the Apostles' Creed? Did you grow up, oh wow, a bunch of us, Catholic, Presbyterian, uh, Americanized Anglicans. I spent 17 years with the Lutherans, so uh, yeah, calculate how many times I said the Apostles' Creed. Let me read it to you. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. Now, you may know that the Methodists were so offended by that, they eliminated it. But uh, of all the hundreds of times I said the Apostles' Creed with the Lutherans, he descended into hell. 
properly that should be Sheol. On the third day he rose again and he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. Let me attempt to explain for you in the scriptures it is often related to as the place of the dead in Hebrew that is Sheol uh, actually in Hebrew is Sheol uh, in the Greek it is Hades but in English we simply call it hell did God go to hell? Did Jesus go to hell? Absolutely not. He went to Sheol. But notice there's a, a chasm between paradise and hell. Jesus went to paradise. There are, you will note, two compartments in Sheol. All, all three of these are Sheol. But the chasm in between is uh, just that, impassable. So we in English call it hell because it is a place of torment. The paradise side, however, is the temporary abode for all of those who are promised salvation, who believe looking forward to the cross. Uh, all the patriarchs, uh, much, much of Israel who believed in the prophesied Messiah who would save his people through his sacrificial death, they are saved. They were waiting Christ, awaiting Christ in paradise. Luther, Calvin, Augustine, Ambrose, the earliest church fathers, all believe that Jesus ascended to the place of the dead. Why? Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. And you might note, uh, many of your Bibles are going to say this is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. That is incorrect. The story is not a parable because it has no moral. And Jesus offered it quite forwardly as, you might say, as an event, being the all-knowing God, an event he had witnessed. So it is not a parable. And Jesus said, there was a rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. And Lazarus lay there longing for the scraps from the rich man's table. And the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. How many of us have had friends that uh, were confined to the hospital during COVID and we could not go visit? I just preached a funeral here a couple of weeks ago for a friend whose wife could not go see him, who could not be with him 
in his final hours. And I comforted her with this verse. The angels carried him to Abraham's side. Presently, the angels will carry you to Jesus' side. And uh, that, that should give us great comfort. She said, uh, I, I was just uh, mourning, continuing to mourn until you told me that. Because I, I just felt such guilt that I couldn't be there in his final hours. And I told her, Kathy, he was not alone. He was not alone. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and come cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted. And Lazarus had nothing. So now, here he is being comforted. And you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here. And no one can cross over to us from there. And the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers. And I want him to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. And the rich man replied, No, no, Father Abraham, but if someone sent from the dead, they will then repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the dead, most of Israel did not believe. Ephesians 4, verses 8 through 10. Therefore he, the Father, says that when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. What's that mean? He led captivity captive. Two things. We were captive to sin prior to Jesus' sacrifice. And have you heard of the, the term prisoner in paradise? All of those awaiting in paradise were prisoners in effect. They were happy to be there, but still, they knew there was something greater. They could not leave until Jesus came. I like uh, how the message translates... Uh, Verse 9 here, it says that he, Jesus, captured the enemy, seized the booty, and handed it out as gifts. What gifts are we talking about here? Now, all of this is a quote of Psalm 68, but let's, let's explore it. 
Now this, he ascended back to the New King James. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended also is the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. The message again. He, Jesus, handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled the earth with his gifts. What gifts did he take to heaven? Those in paradise. He emptied out paradise. Remember, I, uh, a few weeks ago I preached to you from uh, John 17. I am a gift of the Father to the Son. And Jesus takes those gifts and gives them back to the Father in heaven. What gifts did he give below? He gifted us with apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to train us, to train us in servant work. But again, what did Jesus' spirit do while his body was in the tomb? We just read it. He emptied out paradise, but he also preached. Second, excuse me, 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20. He, Jesus, suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. By this time, he's preaching to much more than just those who rebelled in Noah's time. What did he preach? I believe he stood on the precipice of paradise and shouted across the chasm to Sheol, or excuse me, to uh, hell, and preached, these words, Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 through 18. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. If you've heard anyone preach that Jesus descended into hell and fought Satan there for the keys of death and the grave, that's wrong. The keys of death and the grave were Christ the moment he said, it is finished. Do you realize that on Yom Kippur, which is typically celebrated in October, the Day of Atonement, that the high priest in, in Jesus' time, the high priest... I have heard that on the Day of Atonement, there were as many as 250,000 lambs slaughtered for the atonement of the people. But the high priest would offer a sacrifice for not only his sins, but the sins of the people. And when he would come out of the Holy of Holies, after spreading that blood on the uh, Ark of the Covenant, he would come out, out all the way to the main court and announced, it is finished. 
Jesus on the cross was announcing, I am the final Passover lamb. It is finished. The sacrifice for sin is finished. Past, present, future. I don't see Jesus preaching across the chasm as vindictive. Not at all. I believe he, what he's doing is he's preaching justice. He's saying, my justice is here. Justice for those who trusted in me and the continued torment of you who have turned your back on me. Not only is he preaching justice, he's preaching a reckoning. This is a spiritual reckoning, a settling of spiritual accounts. But question, is, is God in hell? Was he ever? Is he there now? Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Is God omnipresent? Indeed he is. Is he present everywhere in the cosmos? Indeed he is. Therefore he is present in hell. And you ask, why would he be in hell? Number one, he's everywhere present. But number two, you've heard the expression, God will love you all the way to the gates of hell. Actually, he will love you beyond the gates of hell. He will love you in hell. How will he love you? He will mourn for your choice to reject him. This morning, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, I want to take us back to the cross. I want to back up three days. The thief on the cross... If you want a study in grace, consider this man. He uttered a simple prayer. Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me. The thief on the cross didn't have time to repeat the sinner's prayer. He didn't have time to be baptized. He didn't have time to turn his life around. He simply said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Does God honor deathbed confessions? You bet your sweet Sunday he does. Jesus looked into his heart. And what did Jesus see? What did he hear? He heard the thief saying this out of his soul. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you are Messiah. I believe you are the Son of God. I've watched you dying right here beside me. And no mere man forgives as you forgive. No mere man loves as you love. I don't understand why you're dying here beside me, but I believe in you. The thief here is you and me. In God's eyes, we are no better, no worse. 
we often fail to see God as the God of absolutes. He is absolute love. He is absolute grace. He is absolute mercy. But his view of sin is absolute as well. King David, for instance, he was a murderer, an adulterer, a wretched father. Yet, the scriptures say that he is the only man of whom God said, you are a man after my own heart. God is a God of absolutes. To God, sin is sin. Murder and adultery are no greater sins than lying and cheating. We are all the thieves on the cross. We're paying dearly for our sins and still not forgiven until we catch a glimpse of Jesus right beside us. And in repentance we say, Lord, I believe in you. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Let us pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, Help us do what we know. Help us honor what we know, that you are indeed a God of absolutes. You are absolutely holy, and we are absolutely not. Check our consciences that uh, we don't see anyone beneath us. We are all guilty of sin every day of the world. E.H. Peterson said it best. We can't maintain a holy, conscious thought for more than 10 minutes. We are creatures of sin. And that's why we need your grace. We need your forgiveness every day of the world. Father, honor us with your presence here this morning as we take the sacrament of the altar, as we partake of the bread and the wine and honor the sacrifice of your body that was beaten, whipped, and scourged for our healing as we honor your blood which covers our sin, past, present, and future. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's Communion Sunday, and we are celebrating. You know, I'm, I always try to bring a little something. And um, so this isn't what, it, what I originally planned, but when Rick came during the week and he found this song that we're going to be singing, I had never heard of it, but it just touched my heart. And so um, it's... In this bread, there's healing. In this cup, life forevermore. In this moment, by the Spirit, Christ is here with us. Actually, he's in us. He lives in us. And so um, you may not know it, but we, we don't know it really well. We practiced it this morning, so we'll learn it together. <clears throat> 
the words. visit us with such a strong sense of your presence that we may trust faithfully in your mighty strength and power and in your wisdom vastly beyond our understanding and in your love which surrounds us for all eternity. At this time we ask your grace upon us here at Desert Gardens, each and every one. As we come and partake in your bread and blood. Lord, come, you say, do this in remembrance of me. Each time you do this, remember my sacrifice. So as you come, feast on Jesus now. So come in and feast.
Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the lessons you've, you've taught us today. We thank you for reminding us that it is never too late, that you're always, you're always there, and it is never too late to recognize you as our Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you for this, and let us help reach out to others who don't know you that you may become their Lord and Savior also. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God be with 